I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. All right, welcome to Understanding Jesus. Dun, 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 dun. This is uh, this is episode what thirty four. I have no idea. I I've think lost, we're on thirty four. I've lost complete track. Um, yeah. And we only have a few weeks left in the year. That's to go. right. Twenty twenty is almost over. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only good thing about this year is the podcast. The podcast, <laughs> man. I hope this has carried you through um, on eagle's wings. That's right. That's right. Yeah, sure. We had COVID and major uh, catalyst catalysmic whatever occurrences <laughs> but we had the understanding jesus podcast well, we that, that. We, that preserved us through That's the right through the thick and thin but uh yeah so here we are we, we missed last week we had some illness that we were dealing with mm-hmm. and so we were back today and we're gonna so we're gonna do two weeks of reading so yeah. i'm excited so buckle about up ladies and gentlemen that's right we don't have uh we don't have a guest technically but we do have austin engineering in the background which is kind yeah. of kind of excellent so Thank he can austin. he can like whisper comments in the background yeah. and we'll we'll take we'll own them as our own we'll pretend that we'll yeah. steal them if you for those for those listening to the podcast you won't, may not be able to hear him but we'll we will uh i will give credit to austin why not so what do we talk about this week Troy? we what are we talking about this week <laughs> we are we've finished jeremiah out and right. uh, and just when you thought you couldn't get any more depressed then you go into lamentations Oof. and then ezekiel it doesn't prove to be the uplifting book that you might have hoped it would be <laughs> after going through jeremiah and lamentations uh, and we are still in Ezekiel. Uh, Psalms, we ended what, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the longest book of the Bible. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a long... Kind of like this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we finished that and uh, and then got into some of the other Psalms. Psalm, Proverbs 28, uh, you know, we, we're getting toward the end of the year, so we're now just hitting one proverb at a time. And, uh, and then Titus, Philemon, and then part of Hebrews. So we got a lot of... A lot of uh, great biblical stuff to cover. Yeah. So actually, I'm very excited about uh, all the things that uh, are in these passages. So we are going to come back and share some insights uh, about what we got through the reading and then some questions. Cool. We'll be right back. All right. We are back and we are talking Yes. About a lot, a lot. This is the segment in which we look through uh, the reading, always encouraging people when you read the Bible to pray, to read through it devotionally. You should be meditating upon the Word, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you just exactly what God is trying to say through the text. It's always good to use uh, some commentaries, uh, things other people have written, things, uh, the things in your uh, different Bibles, different versions of the Bible. All those things are great. But just, you know, if nothing else, just... Get your Bible out in a notepad and just jot down what you feel like God's saying to you. And Daniel is going to share with yeah, us. Yeah, I, I, I am. And and something, a couple of buddies and I were talking about how we hear people say, those of us growing up in church, you know, we, we're just so immersed in the Bible. We know how to read it. Like it doesn't intimidate us to open up a Bible. But we have friends and people we teach and people we know who are so intimidated by picking up a Bible and just reading it. 
And um, and it's it's true. Some areas of the Bible are harder to read than others and harder to follow along with. Um, I like to start in James if uh, if I'm just if somebody doesn't know how to read the Bible. James mm-hmm. is very hey do this and this will happen. Do this and this will happen. Very straightforward in English. Um, Ruth is similar as well. It's very easy to pick up and just understand what's happening. And then you get to books like eh, Jeremiah, you know, that we just came out of, and it's okay. This is a little meatier, a little thicker, and harder to read. Um, Ezekiel is probably a little bit in the middle. It's got a lot of um, high language, but it's also, um, you know, God communicates in a way that we understand through this book a little bit better in my mind. Like, I understand Ezekiel, what it's trying to say, and, and I love that God used different authors to write the sum of the canon of scripture because we have so many different genres, so many different ways that he puts things so that it can connect to everyone no matter where they're at. Mm. And I love it. Um, Ezekiel is someone who, like if God were to write scripture through me, mm. I would write like Ezekiel. And mm. so I really engage a little bit easier with what he's trying to say. And so I really appreciate that. And, um, so we're getting into it, and in verse, I'm going to look at chapter 6 in Ezekiel, and um, in, in verse 9, I just want to read it to um, to you guys, and it says, God, okay, well, God is telling them, you know, basically, he's going to bring disaster right. upon them for what they've done, and it's, that's a lot of the book of Ezekiel, to be fair, it's just a lot of bummer, but verse 9 says, Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed, for all their abominations. And I love that. Like God is, God just gives us a glimpse of his heart. And so much of reading gloom and doom judgment prophecy is. This will happen, and this shall come to pass, and this and your this will happen to this person, and um, but we get a glimpse of how God. It says how I've been hurt by their adulterous ways. It's like the spouse that has been betrayed by the person they love, um, and and He says that this will happen to you because of this, and you will see my hurt, and it will hurt you. Like it's like like when I hurt my wife at at home, like. In, you know, sometimes in my worst moments, deliberately in an argument or something, and sometimes um, not deliberately, most, hopefully most of the time. But um, if I hurt her, that hurts me. Like to see her in pain, like I hate myself after mm-hmm. that. And, um, and maybe it's not even something I caused, but just to see Anna suffering makes me suffer probably worse than just about anything else ever. And um, and that's the kind of relationship that God has with his people is that it says they will loathe themselves over the evils which they've committed over how God has been hurt by their adulterous ways. And I I just love that, how that image of God and his people is how that care, even in the time of discipline, even in the time of trouble for his people uh, that God brings about. It's all about the relationships still. It's not just like you you did something against me, so I'm now I'm going to retaliate and do something against you. God shows his pain. God shows the, how much it hurts him to inflict this pain upon them. And mm. uh, and so us in this time try to bring it home a little bit. Um, you know, we, we go through hard things. We're going through hard things now. and And it's not that God isn't, 
you know, in he doesn't have this all in his hand. You know, it's not like he's out of control in this whole situation. But he everything that comes about comes about to bring us closer to himself. If only we would, as he asked his people to, if only we would turn from our sin, if only we would hate our sin so much that it would draw us back to him, then maybe um maybe a relationship would be restored. So mm. anyway. That's um that's I mean there's so much good in Ezekiel there's so much bad in Ezekiel <laughs> but um <laughs> I love the way it's written book, yeah. yeah and there are, there are snippets that that I like so yeah I was um I, I was gonna share I'll share something from Ezekiel too just because Ezekiel is one of those books every time I come around to it I keep thinking there's nothing in Ezekiel that really you know because I keep thinking about the wheel within the wheel and mm. all the confusing things about the temple descriptions and so forth and think oh it's just I, I'm gonna dread going through Ezekiel and then all of a sudden as I'm reading through it I remember oh my goodness there's there's so many moments of just strong powerful truth that's communicated some of my some of the things that God has spoken the clearest to me about over the years have come through the book of Ezekiel and it, it, and it surprises me every time it's like oh I forget that's there uh, and in in Ezekiel chapter 14 uh, he said in verse 12 he says the word of the Lord came to me son of man suppose a land sins against me by acting faithlessly and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its supply of bread to send famine through it and to wipe out both man and animal from it even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would rescue only themselves by their righteousness. This is the de- declaration of the Lord God. So he says, suppose I allow dangerous animals to pass through the land and depopulate it so that it becomes desolate with no one passing through it for fear of the animals. Even if these three men were in it as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, they, would not, they could not rescue their sons or daughters. They alone would be rescued, but the land would be desolate. He, and he, he keeps going, he was four devastating judgments, but still, how pointed is that? That he's like, if 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 it was just these three amazing prophets of God, mm. the land still would not be saved. It, they would only, he's saying, that's how hard the people have become. That even if I had these three amazing prophets, it makes me think of Jesus when he was sharing about Lazarus and the rich man and, and the rich man dies and he goes to hell and he says, if you would just send back somebody to tell them, you know, uh, it's like if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to a man who comes back from the dead. And, and Jesus, Jesus just pointing out once people's hearts are hardened, you know, it, here's the thing, persistent unfaithfulness demands wrathful action from God. When, when we choose a path of disobedience, God in his grace and mercy, he clears a path to repentance for us. He opens our eyes to it. He says, here's the way that you can be restored to righteousness. And, and it's right there, that way of escape, as, he, as the word says. But if we reject these opportunities, our hearts become callous and we begin to proclaim as righteous those things which are wicked and call wicked those things which are righteous. And that's what's happening in our society today. You have sexual debauchery, you have homosexuality, which are now being lauded as righteous behavior. And anyone who speaks against it is considered to be wicked and and evil and immoral. Uh, there is no interest, there is no desire in repenting because to them, God is not real. Or if he is, he is the God of their own choosing. And God is 
when you believe that God is the God of your own choosing by the word that you have defined, then obviously that's that's a type of rebellion, a type of hardness of heart. It doesn't matter what prophet of God shows up. doesn't matter what warning he gives. doesn't matter who's proclaiming his word. Uh, no longer can we hear his voice. And when we fall into that pattern of persistent unfaithfulness, uh, it's, there's a, the warnings will come. And so if, if you know if, if you if you hear a warning, if you can sense the Holy Spirit saying, "Hey, this is you need to stop doing this or repent," that's you're at a, you're at a moment of grace. And if you pass that up, I remember a young man one time who came to me and was saying that he he heard that voice of conviction, but he was like, "I'm just not ready to listen to it because there's so much more mm. basically evil that I want to do in life before I start living a good life." And it's like you may not hear that voice anymore. Mm. Uh, you may you may become so callous uh, to the word of God and then be stuck in that judgment. And, uh, that's a, such a hard, 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 um, difficult thing to be in a land that uh, and I think that's where we are today. You know, I was thinking even about how when 9-11 occurred so many years, you know, 19 years ago. And how people said, you know, this could be God's judgment and how people were like so offended by that. You know, how could you say that this could be God or or the judgment of God and and all these different things? It's like or when Hurricane Katrina hit, you know, and, and those kind of things. And how could you say that? It's like, do you understand what judgment is? Do you understand what <laughs> wrath is? It's like, you know, he his hand stays these things from us, protects us, and preserves us from these type of events. Uh, and when we reject him and callously refuse him. Uh, I know people in their mind are thinking, well, he would then then sort through and an innocent person, this person, because they're innocent, wouldn't be hurt. And this person, because they're guilty, would be hurt like a like a selective tornado or Mm -hmm. something like that. But he says it rains on the just and the unjust. So when he's uh, in his anger and wrath because of our sin, when we continually cast toward him, we bring. We're the ones who are guilty of allowing the innocent to be hurt. We mm. brought it. We He is allowing us the consequences of our own sin, and innocent people get hurt as a result. That, that judgment is not going to be on God. That's that's going to be against us. Mm. So good. So, yeah. Anyway, that, that, yeah. Ezekiel's harsh, so I, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't dress it up too much there. So. Right. That's so good. That's so good. I can't. I would. I want a commentary on. I keep looking for opportunities to like expound on what you say, so we can have like a back and forth. But you just kind of cover it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, no, it's good. It's so good. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hanging. There's so much that we covered. Such good New Testament stuff. Um, Titus, Hebrews. I have I have some. We have questions in Hebrews to come, so okay. we'll talk about that later. Um, but I wanna I do wanna in Ezekiel still. Um, on that that chapter 10 is the the wheels within wheels and mm. and all that. Um, and it's so weird like you have this picture of a cherubim right which we know has like the um you know the six wings we, we see in isaiah has the six wings and then this one says that cherubim also have like human hands underneath the wings yeah. and then like in the center of the wings is like a wheel within a wheel so if you can picture uh co-eccentric wheels with hands and wings surrounded them that's like this picture of these angels and then it says they move in a in a in whatever direction they want, but they're always facing the same way. So if they go west, they're still facing north. If they right. go south, they're still facing north. You know, it's this, it's this constant squiggly line, but they're always facing the same direction. And we read these things and we're like, I don't understand 
that on I can't even picture that on any level. But see, I was uh, I was actually reading in Mere Christianity last week, uh, C.S. Lewis's um, Mere Christianity, and he says uh, when we think about the spiritual realm, it's hard for us to picture it, just like it's hard for um, a straight line drawn on a piece of paper to imagine a human, because imagine a straight line imagining a square drawn on a paper. That's hard. But imagine a square trying to imagine a cube. Right. And now that's that's a whole other dimension. Now imagine a cube, and a cube is just built up of squares, which is just built up of lines. And he gives it, he just it compounds on it. Now a human body is made up of a million cubes, which is made up of squares, which is made up of lines. So like now imagine a straight line drawn on a piece of paper, imagining a human. Like that's completely out of the realm right. of possibility. Um, he's and so what good. God, he, I know he's so good. Imagine. And so this is what God does is he takes elements of smaller things and he makes, and, um, he just breaks it down. He makes bigger, bigger yeah. things and made out of smaller things. Um, so trying to think of these angelic type things, concepts is really understandably challenging for us. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't get anything out of it. And in chapter 10, um, there's a little bit of detective work. This is why, Pastor Troy, you mentioned uh, reading with a commentary. This is this is commentary help. Um, yeah. And, and uh, this is something that one of my professors in college pointed out. In uh, chapter 10 of Ezekiel, verse 18, it says, The glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. It goes out of the east east gate and mm-hmm. leaves the temple. And um, where it's prophesied that it will come back. Um, yeah. But it doesn't until... Jesus comes in, and Jesus, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes in through the Golden Gate or the east east facing gate, and it's amazing. It's this great, crazy picture. You know, this podcast is understanding Jesus, and even in the Wheel Within a Wheel chapter, you have looking like this hope of looking forward for Jesus coming back or coming for the first time, I guess mm-hmm. someday. Um, where and Israel goes without the glory of the Lord in the temple for hundred for centuries. And in this moment is when it leaves, you know, and, and I don't know, just, yeah. I don't know why I find that interesting. <laughs> I just, I love like the glory of the Lord is what they carry with them all the way up until this point, And then it's gone until Jesus comes, enters the temple again. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and I, I don't want to take away from the spiritual component of that at all, but I always get this really, this sci-fi mentality of Ezekiel. I always think of like drones or hovercrafts mm-hmm. or things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we have technology that does these things and so forth. And, and But just to think, you know, if how conceptually those things were so distant from mm-hmm. when Ezekiel was on this planet. And to think that from now till the same distance of time ahead and so forth, and, and you make that loop over and over and over again, and you think of how far beyond God is, beyond our ability of thought and so wow, forth. Yeah. It is, uh, it's exciting to think about that, uh, that he has, uh, that there are things that he's made that, that, that part of his angelic realm and so forth and the supernatural of, of, of outside the bounds of what we've known and understand. I, I just, I love learning about things like that. I'm excited about maybe what he would be willing to reveal to us. We'll yeah. get to see him face to face. Uh, there's not a lot of sci-fi in Titus, but I do want to <laughs> take a look at what he says in Titus chapter one. Uh, he says to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit uh, for any good work. 
uh, he is, uh, you know, Titus is is uh, is talking about how important it is for church leadership and and the people who are guiding the early church uh, to be people of strong moral character. And and one of the things he's pointing out here is that when you are pure in heart, then you have the ability to see God. You have the ability to hear God, understand God. That's what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, it is it is that pure heart, that desire to to be holy, to pursue holiness, uh, and 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 being rewarded uh, by that by the Holy Spirit empowering us to be able to overcome sin and so forth. But when our hearts are defiled, when we are unbelieving, then nothing is pure. We don't see good in, uh, we don't see God's goodness in things. We don't see the Holy Spirit at work in things. We're just seeing things from a tainted mind and a tainted imagination. That's why when we, we talk to people uh, who are not of God, and when you're listening to people commenting on the news and you're looking at an interviewer, you're, you're saying, I can't believe this person can't see this, or I can't believe this person can't understand this. Well, they, they can't understand it. They can't see it. They can't uh, comprehend the goodness of God because they are, and, and when we talk about the things of God and they they almost respond with that's just wrong or evil or whatever. I remember watching a Star Trek episode and they were talking about how um, there are no absolutes and, and made that declaration in the, in the, uh, in the show, there are no absolutes. It was Captain Picard. It was mm-hmm. next generation. But uh, mm-hmm. I remember him making that statement and I can, and I know Gene Roddenberry, the guy who created Star Trek was uh, an atheist and, and his mindset and thinking, and, and he kind of interjects that. And even though I enjoy the writing of the program, I like science fiction, uh, it's very clear that he comes from a godless background. But uh, one of the reasons, you may say, well, why would you even watch it? Well, it helps me to understand how people who whose minds are darkened, how they see the world, how they see us, how they see our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, and it, it is amazing how they would take that. They were, they were talking about, there was a game being played and if a ball went out of bounds, then the person had to die as a result of the ball going out of bounds. And, and they were saying, they were trying to make the point when you, when you have absolutes, there are sometimes exceptions, just, you know, there was no reason this child had to die just because his ball had gone out of bounds or whatever. And, and there need to be, uh, concessions to certain rules and so forth. But that's with an understanding that you don't have a perfect God. And we understand ourselves to have a perfect and holy God who's completely just. And so when we talk about absolutes, we're talking about absolutes that are are given to us by a God who knows us intimately, who knows the work. Obviously, we are flawed. And when we come up with absolute declarations, they're flawed declarations. Uh, so, yeah, I would understand relativism if we were the ones who were controlling the world and making the rules and so forth, because we are always subject to error and prone to fallibility. But uh, but it is God who has given us his this world and created it and designed it and so forth. So there are certain things that he knows and understands. Um, and and so there are people who claim to know him. And, and this is what Titus is saying. But they deny him by their works. If you are functioning as though God is not real by not doing his word, if then you are acting as though uh, if, if Jesus says that his command to us is to love others as he has loved us. Yet you make no effort in life to do exactly that, to love others, as to even know how Jesus loved people, to even learn how to love others. 
if you're making no effort in that direction, then you're just denying that God is even real or that Jesus is real or that uh, his word is true. Uh, and, and this is a, and, and Titus's application was, is that definitely these are people that do not need to be leading in the church. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. I love Titus. Titus is good. It's so practical. Yeah. Um, just to wrap it up, uh, do I have another? Are we doing that? I'm I'm done. You can, you're done. You're welcome to share if you got some poured out there. Okay, I just I'll, I'll just be quick. Philemon, um, probably my explanation of Philemon will be longer than it takes to read the entire book, but uh, <laughs> 25 verses. Um, we just people people outside the church look at things like Philemon and believe that um, Christianity is just deeply rooted in slavery and injustice, and I just wanted to address that, um, especially for people in my generation are very sensitive to this um, topic because it's all about a slave and his master and talking about that. And um, and just if you have any, if anyone listening to this podcast has any uh, misunderstanding of this book, um, God is not here affirming the use of slavery as we think of it, or even in its own case. Um, mm-hmm. But what it does um, is see that God works in and through sinful systems that we built around ourselves and sinful situations. Now, their slavery is not what we think about today at at its time. It's not racially based. You know, they had different structures in place. But even still, like you hear the word slavery today and it's a big buzz word. Um, But what we can take from Philemon, and it's great. I would really encourage you to actually read it if you haven't already. Um, But um, Philemon is, is an example of how to live when the justly when a situation is not just. Hmm. Um, there's there's so much injustice in the world and um, and if you if you don't think that God is against injustice then you haven't read right. the Bible um, especially the Old Testament the Old Testament's all about doing justice. Um, but we're also given God knows that the world is a horrible is a broken place right. and He teaches us how to live through. The injustice, not just how to do justice, but right. in the meantime, he teaches us how to live. So I really encourage you to to look at it through that lens um, and and have a little bit of <laughs> have a little faith in the uh, in the author and mm. um, just explore it um, for yourself with eyes open. So yeah, very good. And yep. and and uh, and one of the things that to, when Paul talks about slavery and so forth, and and the thing that jumps through people's minds is that uh, that he's endorsing, like you said, he's not endorsing slavery as being good. But right. Think of it like this. Think of it like when he's in prison, uh, he's not saying that it is good to imprison people unjustly and mm-hmm. so forth. But he does say when basically he gives us an example of life when you are unjustly imprisoned. Yes. Uh, then this is how you should man how how you how you should manifest yourself. Not seeking to be freed, but seeking to be uh, because we already are free Mm -hmm. in Christ, because we already celebrate that freedom. Always seeking what is God's desire for me in this particular situation? How do I handle this moment? Believing that God can set me free at any point, if that's what he so chooses to do. Uh, And death is the ultimate. I, I think one of the things that we lose sight of is that we are all slaves in this world yeah. but we're slaves to sin paul and paul continually points that out that slaves uh it's not me saying that this is good or this has some type of value in it or we should have this world system or that we shouldn't fight against it 
Paul's just saying that's not even you're missing the bigger point is that we are all slaves to death that death is coming for us all no matter what your world situation is even if I went through all the legal procedures and we fought wars and we accomplished for the purpose the freedom of humanity and all slave and there was no more slavery upon the planet we still have this huge problem that everybody's still a slave to death and uh, and and that's what's going to affect you for all eternity mm-hmm. uh, and so so his focus was on the greater issue, which was the the law of sin and death, and and the uh, and until we overcome death, and and when you overcome that, well then it really your your plight in this dispensation or this age is really not uh, as as threatening, uh, and and that's the way Paul he lived that example. He wasn't concerned about setting himself for a great story when he's trapped in Philippi and the earthquake happens and the, the, the jail is, everybody's released. He and Silas and nobody leaves. And he convinces everyone to stay in prison, uh, and not flee. Uh, that's pretty powerful. Uh, but, uh, and then winds up, winds up liberating the Philippian jailer, the, the actual, the person who was, apparently imprisoning them was the one who was actually in prison and Saul and Paul um, was able to set him free. And so that day, um, instead of more people being in prison, more people were set free. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. All All right. right. Let's do some questions when we come back. Okay, we are here. It is the question and answer segment of our time where um, I ask questions as if they're not actually my questions, and uh, Pastor Troy answers them. (laughs) Or tries to, anyway. We do have uh, questions from church members coming going forward, um, and uh, my own personal questions, so I'm excited to dig into it. Sure. Are you up for the challenge? I'm ready. All right. Um, Question number one is cannibalism in Ezekiel, and I don't think anyone's under the impression that that is what we are told to do as Christians, Um, but why did God's people, I I think I'm understanding this correctly, why um, would God's people go that route? Would it not be better just to, I don't know, would it be better to die? Like, why did they do cannibalism? That was kind of actually um, throughout um, uh, 1st and Kings, 1st and Chronicles, uh, whenever there was a siege upon a city, uh, that was uh, that was a typical uh, response uh, that um, that they would eat their children. That they would eat one another. I mean, this is just people who are starving to death. You know, we have things where we, you know, I remember. remember I don't know if you remember the movie Alive about the um, what was it the um, I'm trying to think of what that. There was a soccer team that got stranded up in the mountains or whatever and and they wound up eating one another to survive or so forth and 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 why i don't watch soccer and debating (laughs) the uh you know obviously the moral dilemma of that uh but uh when faced with death uh and there is no food uh cannibalism is something that has people have resorted to this wasn't uh, just indicative of the hebrew people obviously this was something just characteristic of humans as a whole the the point that is being brought out in Ezekiel and the other uh, books of the Bible that deal with it is just saying that judgment has gotten to this to the point of that uh, you have uh, uh, their hearts are already estranged from God and it's it's an apocalyptic type of description of this is how bad 
it is is that we are eating our own children, we are eating our own people in order to survive. Uh, when when you and I are living, I mean, if we if I came today and said it's going to get so bad here in the United States that we're going to start eating our own, um, think of how that would just be like that can never get that bad. Mm. And and that's the uh, that's the the humbling part about when you're reading God's word and you and you're reading things like that. We we all see that we yeah. all in our minds say it'll never get that bad until it gets that until bad it does and so it would be kind of without merit or, or i guess without i mean to have people say to warn you and say it's going to get this bad it's going to get this bad to not actually have the evidence to say oh yeah it got that bad that's how bad it got uh and so the word of god gives us that this is not only did god say it will get that bad through his prophets it got that bad mm. and and that's exactly what happened uh, there's obviously, this is not what God wanted them to do. Uh, if you're asking me for on an ethical basis, should we not eat each other? Then that answer would be, that is correct. We should not eat, eat, eat each other. Don't uh, eat each other. Don't, don't eat. eat each other. That's right. <laughs> do not eat people. That's bad. Uh, but when you are already in rebellion against God, when you've already forsaken him and, and it has been a complete, uh, turning to yourselves, satisfying your own pleasure. When the moment comes when you're starving to death, you're not going to make great ethical choices uh, at that point either. It's a good reminder of that we uh, we will turn to our base selves when we uh, do not have um, when we are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you think that when you get into a difficult situation that you're going to make better choices than you're making now, then you would actually be extremely wrong. Uh, you are at your best self. Uh, now and so uh, most likely so whatever choices you're making now whatever strength you're drawing from uh, when you are tested uh, that's at best what you are going to do and um, and so uh, it's it's that's why we work into our lives the spiritual discipline and so forth of spending time in his word understanding who it is and trusting him so when things do get difficult we do not fall away um, in times of difficulty. So I, I don't know if the question was directly, is it right or wrong to, to eat ourselves, but uh, to More eat people. More of a what gives. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. That, that's what it was. It was just, that's how bad, how bad the judgment of God was, but in no way uh, was God uh, desiring them or right. wanting them to do such, such a, an atrocity. Cool. Okay, question two. Um, Hebrews is, we're halfway through Hebrews now, uh-huh. and um, it's challenging, it's complicated, and it talks a lot about things. We're actually going to talk more specifically in the next question about one of the crazy things in it, but okay. um, I, I find it personally challenging to read as a Gentile, yeah. not knowing much about the Jewish um, history right. and you know past what is in the Bible right. um, that I can kind of try to piece together. And I feel like Jews reading it would be much would be much easier for them. So what would you recommend that someone like me does to kind of familiarize myself with this kind of Jewish content that would make this easier? Well, I think I think it's not as much becoming uh, Jewish uh, as it is <laughs> just a, a better understanding of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, a be- a, like the Gospel of Matthew written from a very Jewish perspective. Um, and, and, and so when you read through Matthew, having a better understanding of the Old Testament, I, I don't think you have to uh, go out even outside of the Bible too much. I think 
obviously I think reading uh, commentaries and so forth about Jewish history and, and, and the history of Israel and so forth and, and a greater understanding of that. But I, I think that the word itself, I always like to believe that uh, that God's given us enough without us having to, to go to extra biblical sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think having a, a very a much better grasp of the Old Testament uh, does prepare us for what we are going to uh, be re- what's going to be revealed to us in in Hebrews. Obviously, if you grew up in a in the tradition of the Jewish faith, uh, it would uh, have more um, merit, I guess, in, in some way. It would mean have some unique meaning to you or whatever. But I mean, I grew up in Dundee, Kentucky, in a very Gentile <laughs> environment, very Gentile world, and so forth. I get I get Hebrews. I mean, I understand. Uh, the, uh, the enough of the history of the Israelite people uh, that it, it, it has merit, but I think yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I think I think just uh, I think it's a reminder that the Old Testament is very important, and uh, and sometimes we gloss over those things, uh, but re- not just reading through the Old Testament, but meditating upon the things, understanding the history of it, and so forth. Now that would be that's I think that would be where I would start. Now when I'm reading through the Old Testament, sometimes it's good to get some historical context of some of the names and and people and figures and so forth and uh and this isn't something i would suggest to everybody but having uh completed hebrew uh i wouldn't suggest people go back and take hebrew but um but there are people in ministry who have studied hebrew obviously pastors a lot of people been in the seminary and so forth have taken hebrew and a better understanding of language and some of the dynamics of the language are helpful also in in a better understanding um of books like hebrews but um, but that's, um, uh, I think that's, uh, again, the body of Christ itself, those Bible studies, those uh, getting insights from other people and so forth uh, within the body of Christ, commentaries and so forth. That's uh, all those things are very helpful. Cool. But the old, the old Testament would be the, the primary. Testament. Yeah. Awesome. The primary thing. All right. And last question that came in, um, speaking of Hebrews, there's this character that they keep mentioning, um, Melchizedek. 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 Um, the, he's, they seem to think highly of this guy. Salem's bright king. Yeah. They kind of mention him, I believe, in Genesis. Um, yeah. So who's, what's the skinny on this guy? Melchizedek is a very um, a very amazing figure and, and probably one of the greatest um, examples of understanding the authorship of the Bible, of being God himself, because you have him mentioned back in Genesis. You have then David referencing Melchizedek in the Psalms, and then all, then all of the way up into the... Uh, New Testament here in Hebrews, you have uh, Melchizedek, a, a lot being drawn uh, from this character in the Bible. Um, there's a there's a word we use in Bible study called type, and a type is when you uh, when, uh, when you have like a type of Christ, uh, you have these uh, characters. Uh, you have sometimes uh, an institution or a character or a situation or some type of physical object that uh, gives us a type of something that's going to be revealed more about later on. Now, like when you think of Jesus as the Lamb of God uh, or the sacrificial lamb, uh, that uh, sacrificial lamb is a type of Jesus, a type of Christ. Now, that means there are it could just be one thing about it that's like Jesus or represents Jesus. We wouldn't say that Jesus had wool, that he had four legs, that he, you know, bad like a sheep or whatever, bad like a sheep. And uh, and the 
Uh, so th- th- we don't ever draw those connections. In the same way it is with Melchizedek being a type of Christ, there are attributes about Melchizedek uh, that would be like Christ. And uh, and so we just look for those things and not try to draw complete parallels. Now, some people will say that Melchizedek is Christ uh, in the Old Testament. But uh, when you read through Hebrews, uh, the language that's used there does really says he was uh, a representative or a type of him, not that he was actually was not actually him. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I hate to I don't like to make jumps that the word of God does not make for us. Uh, so I won't make that jump. Uh, the other thing uh, is that uh, some people will say that he was an angel in the Old Testament. But uh, the, again, uh, angels weren't given priestly authority. They didn't have that type of role. So that would kind of take away from what the author of Hebrews is trying to point out if he was actually an angel. So it's most likely that he was actually a physical person who was here on this planet and uh, and interacted with Abraham. The point that he's making in, in Hebrews is that he was of a priestly order and, uh, and, and Salem's priest, which Salem was an ancient, uh, comes from Shalom, which means peace, which is Jerusalem. Yairu Shalom uh, means uh, city of peace. Uh, and so uh, the uh, which is uh, so here you have even before there was Jerusalem you hear here you have a priest of uh, ancient Jerusalem uh, who is uh, here with Abraham and Abraham offers a tie to him and so forth the, the key thing here is that he precedes uh, Abraham's descendants because the priesthood that's given to us in the law of Moses comes from Levi, uh, the sons of Aaron, uh, and uh, specifically and so the ironic. Uh, uh, priesthood that was established through uh, Levi being one of the 12 sons of Jacob, Jacob being Israel. And so uh, then uh, Moses and Aaron come from Levi. And then so then the priesthood is given to Moses coming all through the sons of Aaron and nobody else can serve as priests unless they are a son of Aaron. Well, Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He is not a son of Aaron yet. So the author of Hebrews is saying, but his priesthood predates, comes before uh, Aaron even existed. And and that's why he says he's of the order of Melchizedek. So of that priesthood, because God obviously established a priest before there was ever Aaron. In the same way God established Melchizedek as a priest, he established Jesus as a priest really before Melchizedek, uh, because obviously Jesus is eternal. Right. And, uh, and so my mind goes to that part where the 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 priests and the Pharisees are giving Jesus grief about um, Abraham's our father, blah blah blah, and right. you know, uh, and Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am." Yeah. Is that, I mean, obviously we all take that to mean Jesus being the eternal God. Right. Um, but is there some like tie-in to that, like Jesus claiming his authority as a great high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek? Absolutely, yeah. And and that's a. Uh... Uh, I think you already knew the answer to the question before you asked it there, but the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that sounded a little rhetorical. Uh, I'm just sure I'm tracking. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying, and 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 establishing himself that uh, that he is. I, I just think it's neat how the author of Hebrews is. Uh, we take these things for granted. We we don't need. Uh, I didn't need the author of Hebrews to tell me that Jesus uh, is a great high priest because of the order of Melchizedek and so forth. But when you 
are a part of a people uh, that uh, have tied every that that God doesn't ever make error, that He has a plan and a purpose and everything, and meticulously passes down this law, and you have gone combed through this law and combed through the message and the word, uh, and and He follows this particular order, and all of a sudden somebody says, uh, yeah, okay, well He's a priest, and but He's not part of Aaron, but He just made. I mean, they condemned the Samaritans for doing that type of thing, and God condemned uh, Jeroboam for allowing that to happen in the in the um, uh, when the when the kingdom split and so forth and and the northern tribes of Israel were uh, were all condemned because of of having priests who weren't Levitical and so forth so uh, so this is a big deal to them uh, that we wouldn't understand as Gentiles again I think you can get all that through reading the Old Testament but the uh, but but he is but he does take that moment to say, but here is what God mm-hmm. was doing, I, which is just a, such a powerful thing. Yeah. They thought about not even putting that book in, in our New Testament, but I'm very glad that right. God, God saw fit to well, leave it there. And like you said, we take it for granted 2,000 years later. But right. they, I mean, whoever, the author of Hebrews, the yeah. early church had to piece that all together so that we could take it for granted today. Yes. So it's so important. Yeah. So anyway, wow, great week. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Thank you, Pastor Troy. Uh, Thank you, Austin, for manning our tech. And we will see you next week on Understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.